you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <gasps> I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain! Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? This is the Stupid Answer Show! Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Don't worry, I got an idea. And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Matthew Sack. Woohoo! Not that there's anything wrong with that. Because he has a lot of chicks, <laughs> Oh, right. Hello and welcome to episode 398 of the Stupid Cancer Show. We are the voice of young adult cancer. Coming to you from downtown Manhattan, I'm your host, Matthew Zachary, a proud 20-year young adult brain cancer survivor. The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity comprehensively addressing young adult cancer. Find us online at stupidcancer.org. I'm Laurel Sally, sitting in for Mallory Rivera. I'd like to welcome all of our first-time and returning listeners. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe to the podcast at iTunes or follow us on SoundCloud. 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. Sucks, huh? We change the world one chemo infusion at a time. And on this episode, we're doing Dying Young With Me, a new book. Not a cancer story, but an account of a teenager's life becoming derailed. And the one thing that helped him pull it back together is music. Rob Rufus, author and the one-lunged cancer-surviving drummer of the Nashville-based band Blacklist Royals, joins us to discuss his new memoir and how music shaped his survivorship. Survivor Spotlight on young adult colon cancer survivor Allison Rosen. We are Mallory-less. Hello, Laurel. Hello, Matt. Mallory-less. I've never used that word before. I know, and I don't like it. No? No, you I'm do sitting miss her. here, the side of me, this left side of me, where Mallory always sits, empty. Oh, settle down. I'm just upset. It's, it's a loss. It is. It, you're grieving. I can't help it. <laughs> we miss you. Yes, we do. It's, well, she'll be back tomorrow. Tomorrow. But tomorrow's not a show. No, it is so, not. But next week, she'll be back can't wait. <laughs> I'm sure you can't wait. <laughs> Counting the seconds. I count down the nights. Just but, the sleeps till I see Mallory again. But just speaking as to why Mallory isn't here, she's returning from Colorado. She's mid-flight as we tape the show uh, from an extraordinary experience, our second annual CancerCon Steering Committee Retreat, which you got to go to. Oh, my. I did. I got to go to it, and I feel so Lucky that I was there, and I think that the fact that I am speaking slowly because I am at a loss for words, which never happens, no, shows you just how moved I was by this event. And I know that kind of sounds really silly, like moved by an event. Sounds silly, but I think just meeting the members of the steering committee and listening to their stories and just being able to spend a weekend with them and then to have it in Colorado, up in the beautiful Rocky Mountains, like, what? Right, and for those listening, the uh, CancerCon is our annual international expo for cancer patients, survivors, and caregivers. You can find out more at cancercon.org. We are doing our 19th conference next April in Denver. And every year we have a steering committee that supports the staff as a volunteer ambassadors who are the brawn, the heft, the breadth, the depth, the width, the height, every dimension Everything. possible Everything. that pull off some extraordinarily incredible uh, magic. They are legitimately the community. And They're they wizards. are sitting there and they're like, 
tell us what to do and giving us all of these amazing ideas. And uh, Ali started it, our chief program officer, Ali Ward, started the retreat by just stating, like, we couldn't do this without you. And it is so true what they did that weekend. And then I'm just so excited to work with them um, for the year to come up with this amazing event. I'm just, I just felt so lucky to be there. The steering committee originated uh, probably drunk with me and Allie in 2011 That's saying, how'd good, you like yeah. to do That's something nice. with me? You're not, can't pay you, but you could always volunteer. So Allie, who is, again, as you mentioned, now chief programming officer <laughs> five years later. So good to bring her back to those good old drunken days. It's like, yeah, Kenny, <laughs> my former uh, co-founder Kenny and I were at the, uh, probably at a diner with Allie saying, we need help. We need help. We're going to go to Vegas. We have no idea what we're doing. Just let's, so the steering committee, in concept, the steering committee was born for the 2012 Vegas event, but it has matured so much in that time. And again, I'm really thrilled that you got to experience it. Oh, my goodness. I just, yeah, I don't know. I think the amount of times I just was looking around and asking anybody who was walking by me, is this real life? It's like, that's it. And you weren't in like Denver proper. You guys went like way off into the crazy netherworld of the mountains. We did. A lot of switchbacks happened to get us yeah. to, we were in Fraser, Colorado. I don't know if it's Fraser or Fraser. Okay. Fraser, I, I believe. I'm going to go with Close either. to Winter Park. Um, so we were driving for about two hours outside wow. of Denver, up into the mountains, up into the altitude. That's a deep altitude country. It is. And Mallory and I realized on our first night, nobody ever told us um, after only getting about two hours of sleep each the first night that altitude insomnia is a thing. <laughs> yes, it is. We did not know that. Mm -hmm. We did not. And yeah. then it was a lot of coffee the next day. Yeah, it, it, it's it's a tough adjustment. Man. And you were just there for like three and a half days. So it's like quick. By the time you get yeah. used to it, you're gone. That was the thing, is by the last day, yeah, we were there Thursday. I was there Thursday to uh, Monday. Right. So, I mean, by the time I was feeling great on Monday, I'm like, bring it on altitude yeah. and then crash on the yeah, plane. Exactly. So that was great. But you got to breathe air, which was fresh nice. Fresh air. Fresh air. Yes. What's that like, fresh air? Man, I only get it when I go home. I know. So it's a nice <laughs> thing. It's a nice exactly. thing every once in a while. Well, we got another big event coming up uh, this week for those listening um, on calendar is our, our second annual fundraiser in New York called Toast, an evening with stupid cancer. Very proud of that. We're expecting a couple of hundred people to show up at the NASDAQ in Times Square. It's going to be a really, uh, really exciting event. It does not get new more New York than that, I don't think. What? NASDAQ. Having, at the NASDAQ? Times Square. Yeah. Toast. Toast. Oh, you can't man. know it's toast. Toast. Yeah, get your Canadian accent out of here. Toast. Hey? Times Square. Square. <laughs> You'll be walking there. Yeah, I'm walking. Watch it. Yeah, watch it. Yeah, you can't pull that off. <laughs> I can't even pull that off. <laughs> and, of course, as if we don't have enough things going on, our West Coast conference is booking up. Uh, OMG West in uh, Orange County at uh, UC Irvine is uh, on sale right now. Tickets are free. <laughs> they are. Yep. OMGSummit.org uh, for OMG West. And it's just going to be this amazing day where you get to come out and meet your community and really learn from, we're saying like you're learning from your peers and you're learning from yourself and you're learning from experts in the field. So I don't think it gets better than that. No, it's it's the embodiment of, of, of what we do as an organization. So, uh, and finally, to wrap this up, I was in Boston last week for three days speaking at a conference called, um, I should really know what biotech. it was. Thank you. Biotech Boston. Yeah. Biotech Week Boston produced by Informa. Yes. Otherwise known as Connect 365. Lots of organizations there. Steve Wozniak was one of the keynotes. Did not get to see him, but uh, I was able to uh, finagle my way to do another keynote on Wednesday. He was wow. the keynote on Friday. And uh, Dave Fuhr from our board of directors, uh, also a two-time testicular cancer survivor, and I did a uh, bit of a song and dance, if you would, a sand dance. Ooh. A two-man show. Mm -hmm. I played piano. He juggled. It was Oh, it was quite I the would act. love to see Dave juggle. Quite the act. Uh, what we were talking about, not just our stories, but the audience were all biotech people, really like amazingly nerdy, amazing scientists, <laughs> chemists, physicists, 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 words. Tough word. Um, and and uh, product companies that make the most incredibly ingenious, like Star Trek level technology and whatnot for the biotech world. So uh, we, we talked about clinical trials and we talked about 
uh, data and patient access. And, of course, we shared our mission and some of the challenges that the patients face that we were invited there to talk about things that they don't normally know about. Crazy cool. We got a lot of engagement on that from social media, and it was great to. There were a lot of people there live tweeting it. Yes. So it was so fun for us back in New New York. It was so fun for <laughs> us trying. to uh, uh, to feel like we were involved in the day as well. Well, again, special thanks to Biotech Week Boston for having us. We hope the mis- the message was spread. We look forward to engaging with your community even further. There's lots of good stuff. And at the end of the day, I remind everybody, no matter where I go, that we are all patients. No matter who you are, what you do, where you work, we're all patients. So thank you for that. And uh, now let's get to our Survivor Spotlight. In our Survivor Spotlight, Allison Rosen is a colorectal cancer survivor from the great state of Texas. She is passionate about helping other young adults in the cancer world, especially those with colorectal cancer under the age of 50. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, CancerCon Steering Committee member extraordinaire, Allison Rosen. Allison! Hello! Hi. Very, very excited to have you on the show, especially off the heels of you just getting back from Laurel is in the studio with us tonight, uh, and I only heard amazing things, so thank you so much for all you do for us. Oh, you're welcome. I had an amazing time meeting everybody. So I want to start with your story. I've been involved in the um, the Never Too Young uh, organization and the Colorectal Cancer Alliance for a couple of years now, the young colon cancer movement, so to speak. And yeah. uh, it, it's really grown a lot of legs. It's making a big difference. Lots of noise and, and all good kinds of noise. Um, and you're part of that. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about how does someone that isn't 80 get colon cancer, right? You love that question. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy because, unfortunately, the colorectal cancer is, I think, the number two in people under 50 in the young adults. And it just happens. Unfortunately, there's more and more people that maybe have inflammatory diseases or are eating bad or... You know, it just, it, it's totally dependent. There's so many different things. There's genetic diseases that, that lead to colorectal cancer. The problem is, is that they're having these symptoms and the doctors aren't able to do anything about it because of insurance. And that, that's a shame. It isn't usually until they are diagnosed with cancer because they've insisted on having a colonoscopy that they usually get diagnosed. And at that point, a lot of times it's stage four. Well, that speaks to the pretty much the entirety of young adult cancer as a public health disparity set yeah. forth 10 years ago, the entire reason that I started Stupid Cancer and that groups like, you know, First Descents and whatnot are out there is because our lives kind of suck when we're well. It's hard <laughs> enough to be, you know, 22 when you're not sick, but at the same time, yes, not being taken seriously, late-stage diagnoses, increased incidence, a lack of awareness— all these things have been sort of promulgating in the ether for the last 10 years. And finally, we have a voice. But what yeah. do we do about it? And you're doing something about it. I do want to point out something that is unique about you is you actually live and breathe on the oncology research side of the industry as well. And yeah. that must be a, a, a duality that's very difficult to articulate. It's crazy because, you know, I've done colon, not colon, I've done leukemia research specifically for about 11 years now. And I, you know, in the course of the years, I never thought I would actually get cancer myself. So it was definitely a eye opener when I got the diagnosis. And I know so much about cancer that it just, it was very difficult. I, you know, I used it as a positive in a way that I used my connections to see um, some of the better doctors or get, get in faster with some of the doctors. And I think because of my background in research, they, they took me a little bit more seriously. They knew I would understand what they were saying. And um, thus it was easier for me to talk to them about treatments and, and options. And just as some young adults, they, you know, they talk to their parents or they don't think they understand what they're saying. Where with me, I, I understood everything, more so than I probably wanted to. So you are, are currently at MD Anderson? Um, I was at MD Anderson. I was treated there. So, I mean, I'm still, I still have all my follow-ups um, there right now. I just had a, a clean scope or a clean scan uh, two, three weeks ago. So um, four years out, clean scan. Unfortunately, with every 
I think cancer survivor, there's complications. So I'm dealing with so many different complications resulted in a result of uh, my treatment. Well, you attended CancerCon 2016 this year in Denver, and you sat through the research plenary about how do we make it suck less kind of research, not cure research. And what was your take on that as a cancer researcher yourself? You're, we, we live and breathe in this narrative of cure. Where does survivorship, which is a wonky word, where does that really come into play in real life? You know, I think there's a big push for it, and it's, it's 100% needed. I think it's, for me specifically, and I think for everybody, when they go in, you know, especially at MD Anderson, it's a great hospital, and they're focused on, you know, making you live, you know, curing you of cancer. But they don't tell you about the long-term side effects. They don't tell you the medicines that you're taking, what will happen two years from then or one year from then. And so I think survivorship is, is huge. Yeah, the word might be, you know, popular right now, but if I would have known what I, what I know now, some of the medicines I might not have taken or I would have taken steps to, you know, deal with certain issues that no one ever told me about. They just were focused on me, you know, surviving, doing what they needed to do, surgery, chemo, radiation, but they didn't mention fertility for me back, and that was only 2012. They didn't mention long-term side effects with my kidneys. And, you know, so it's, it was a very interesting session. And, you know, I've told so many people by going to CancerCon, it's opened my eyes, it's changed my life, and that's why I've gotten more involved because there's so much that you can do by going to a meeting with that many amazing speakers and that many amazing survivors and patients. So what drove you into the cancer research space in the first place when you, before you even knew you'd be a customer of your own profession? Truthfully, I've always loved science, and so I have an undergrad degree in biomedical science, and then I got a master's in forensics of all things, and so I was, I was working in a crime lab, and the field I was in I didn't really love, and so I was in Virginia, and I'm from Houston, and so I'm like, what can I do with my degree for the time being until I find another job, and I happened to stumble into research, and I moved back home to Houston, and... Working in research is super fulfilling because it's constantly changing. You're constantly learning. And I happen to have an amazing boss who's been very good with moving me and works, moving me in different, into different projects that are constantly evolving. So as long as I'm learning, I'm happy. And in research, you're always learning because something could change from one day to the next. And so that's, you know, it, it wasn't how I thought I would end up, but it's how I, um, how I am now. And 11 years later, I'm doing something totally different than when I first started in my lab. Well, it sounds like it's incredibly fulfilling and strangely ironic. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so <clears throat> for our listeners out there, what is it like to be not 80 with colon cancer? Wow. It's, it's crazy because a lot of colon cancer patients are given basically an option for an ostomy bag when you're older. And when you're older, you already are married. You already have lived a, a very full life. And, you know, an ostomy bag for someone older is no big deal. But when you're younger, you know, unfortunately we're vain. We have a lot of living left, especially me. I'm single trying to date. And basically they gave me a few different options. But for quality of life, the best thing for me was to have an ostomy bag, and I have that. And so being young, living with something like that is another thing I'm passionate about, letting people know that even though I have this, this bag, I can do anything and everything that everybody else can do. But it is, it's totally different because, you know, people see what's on the outside, not what's on the inside. So it's a constant struggle to, you know, explain to people that I had cancer and I have this, this stuff on the outside that people can see. Are you going to post for the colander? I'm hoping. I, I, you know, I've applied for two years, so this year will be my third year applying. So I'm crossing my fingers that that I get it this year. So you know, it's so it's very popular now for people to do it. So um, cross your fingers that third time's a charm, and and I can do it. <laughs> right, and for those listening, the colander is an annual pop a pinup calendar produced by the colonclub.org. Um, which I've been uh, had a relationship with for many, many years now. I know the people there, so just remind me, and I'll put a good word in for you. And, <laughs> and, and I'll guilt them that it's your third time applying. <laughs> Sounds great. 
But I think that shows such a verve, you know, su- such such a, a really like, you know, the hashtag represent. What does it really mean to be yourself? Because you didn't ask for this to happen, but you're telling the world this is what colon cancer looks like in young people. Deal with it and stop stigmatizing me. Yeah, for sure. I think that the the average person looks at me and has no idea what I've gone through. And that's how I like it. I like to, you know, not necessarily look sick, but when other people get sick that are around my age, I'm more than happy to share my experiences. And once I do tell them my story, it's crazy the 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 feedback I get from, from other young people going through exactly what I went through. So, you know, I think the colon cancer, colorectal cancer movement is big because we can have people get diagnosed with stage one, two, three, and survive this disease. And that's what I'm passionate about right now. So in terms of, like, let's put our academic hats on for a second. Where is there any movement in reducing the stage four diagnosis for young adults? You know, as far as research is, it's, it's, it's all going to Capitol Hill and it's politics, unfortunately. I mean, there are certain things that I think you can do for colon cancer. There are a lot more now versus when I was going through treatment. There are some, I think, some, some tests that you can do to kind of see if you, you have any sort of genes that are known to cause colon cancer. And so I'm involved in a, um, a group called a group um, Colon Cancer Coalition, and they do a Get Your Rearing Gear 5K all throughout um, the U.S. And um, specifically in Houston, St. Luke's and Baylor College of Medicine are are going to provide this swab that you can go and you know have. I think it's a blood test actually. I'm not 100% positive. The blood test you get, and if you go to this doctor, it can tell you the likelihood of you having certain genes that will, will cause colon cancer. And so if that can help, early screening and early, early, di- early screening and can help with early diagnosis, then that, that will be the future. There just wasn't anything like that when I was diagnosed. There's, there was no way to really tell. I mean, basically, it's, if you see blood in your stool, go to your doctor and ask them you know, for a scope. That's basically plain and simple what it is. Um, because there's not a ton of research as to why we are getting it. Right, and you mentioned it, that it's, it's pro- I think it's the number three, it's the fastest growing cancer in pediatric, adolescent, young adult uh, yeah. uh, age group <clears throat> next to um, breast cancer and, and blood cancer like Hodgkin's and ALL. But mm-hmm. either way, you're, we're putting a lot of burden on the primary care doctors to take you seriously when you come in where it's not just IBS or colitis or Crohn's or other potentially more obvious gastrointestinal, uh, you know, uh, chronic conditions brewing up, but those are all still triggers towards colon cancer. Yeah, well, I have, I have Crohn's, so totally. Um, they did test, and I don't necessarily have the genes for colon cancer, but, I mean, I was diagnosed at 12 with Crohn's disease, and I think that because of all the treatment that I went through for that, because of all the medicines I, I was on, you know, I was getting screened every year, and I still developed colon cancer. Right. You know, within a year and a half of my last scope, I had cancer, and a year and a half before, I didn't. So you just have to know your body, and you have to insist on your doctors doing it. Some doctors are better than others, unfortunately. So the big question is, what can stupid cancer do? And now that you're sort of drinking the Kool-Aid down the rabbit hole as deep as possible on the steering committee... Where would you like to see your organization pivot to? What problems can we solve? And how is your role helping to shape CancerCon going to affect that? I think what Stupid Cancer can do is to give young adults a voice. Um, There's opportunity through organizations that Stupid Cancer is involved in for people like me to get involved with, go to Capitol Hill, work on different, you know, amendments and different things to, to help scopes you know, be approved for over 50, or if not everybody, you know, different ways to make it easier for a doctor to put in for an insurance company to give you a scope. So stupid cancer is 100% giving young adults the voice that we haven't had for so long. And it's their opportunities that you get by attending all of their meetings to meet people that are doing what so many of us are passionate about. And together, we are one amazingly powerful voice. 
Wow, I couldn't have written that answer. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, my my, uh, we got a minute left or so, but I wanted to ask you another question. A lot of young adults don't come to the diagnosis table almost uh, preempted by having a long history of pre-existing condition and or a medical and or research background to know what to ask. Sure. Where do you see those gaps? And I assume you've met tons of other people through your work in the young adult programs at, at MD Anderson and through your colorectal cancer advocacy. What 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 are the solutions there? Like you can't take someone that isn't inherently self advocating and make them self advocating. Sure. Well, the good thing about hospitals nowadays is that there are patient ad, patient navigators, nurse navigators. There's a lot of education out there. And, you know, if you think something is wrong, there probably is something wrong. And, you know, like I said, I never thought I would get cancer. A lot of people my age that I've met never thought they'd get cancer, too. I mean, the, the knowledge that I have was amazing, but a lot of people that I've talked to now reach out to me. So if you think something's wrong, there's enough of us in this movement that you can reach out to somebody and ask them. I mean, I've had strangers or friends ask me about their friend's friends reaching out to me to ask them ask questions about, oh, I see blood in the stool, or oh, you know, my stomach doesn't feel quite right. So I feel like even though you might not have the background or the knowledge, you're going to know somebody who knows somebody. And online, seriously, I've found so many amazing groups, especially for my cancer, online through Facebook, through, you know, all these um, online things, online um resources right now. So, you know, you can educate yourself as much as you want, and the support is there. You just have to reach out for it. I think what you just said resonates really well. We use Dr. Google, you know, as as constructively as possible, and don't let it tell you you're dying every minute when you have a cough. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it it can be a little bit crazy, the internet, but if if you know the websites that are actually good, those are the ones you go to. You don't go to the ones that are going to scare you to death. Right, exactly. So we always ask this of all of our guests is if you could tell you X years ago something that you wish you were told, what would it be? Wow, I wish I would have been told about my fertility. I mean, I had people tell me to ask about it. And I think like right now I'm 36. And, you know, even even when I was diagnosed at 32, I think earlier in life, maybe I would have, you know, frozen my eggs or whatever. But if I could have told myself when I was first diagnosed, I would have really probably focused on let's get those eggs frozen and do what we need to do and then go through my treatment so that in the future I could essentially hopefully have kids um, through the power of technology or the, the what's, what's available now. So, you know, there's plenty of other options out, if you, options out there if you don't get to do that. So, you know, in the next year or so, I'm going to look into adoption because I want kids and Luckily, there's a lot of agencies out there for cancer survivors that are willing to give you, you know, help you in that adoption process or surrogacy or, or many other things. So fertility is another thing I'm, I'm very passionate about. Well, yeah, and we could probably talk for hours offline about that. And, you know, we have a partnership with Circle Surrogacy out of Boston. And one of our leading advocates, Jennifer Rackman, is a surrogacy. I forget the term, a parent of surrogacy or they have a beautiful young boy they got through surrogacy because she was not read her fertility Miranda rights and woke up one day without a uterus from ovarian cancer. So yes, we are only too happy to be that voice for you as an organization and a pathway to parenthood. Parenthood is a civil liberty and cancer shouldn't take that away from you. So I I congratulate you on just fighting the good fight and and standing up for what's right. Well, thank you. I talked to them at, at CancerCon and they're an amazing resource. Excellent, excellent. Well, Allison Rosen, 2017 CancerCon Steering Committee member, colorectal cancer advocate, uh, fighter, survivor, your word of choice. Uh, People tend to cherry-pick their semantics these days. You truly are passionate about helping other people, and I can't thank you enough for giving back. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to talk. All right, thank you. Allison Rosen, everybody. All right, and now... The news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Stupid Cancer does a whole lot of awesome things, and here's what's happening now. The OMG Cancer Summit for Young Adults started in 2008. 
In eight years, 14 summits have brought together more than 6,000 people. On October 29th, join the young adult cancer movement in Orange, California. OMG West is all about community. Learn more at omgsummit.org. Join us for a different kind of social mixer. No pressure, no judgments, no stigma. Best of all, no sitting around in a circle sharing your feelings. Find a meetup in your area at events.stupidcancer.org or host your own. Just go to stupidcancer.org slash meetup. We want to see how you get busy living. So follow Stupid Cancer on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And please don't forget to tag us at Stupid Cancer. Join the movement. Show how you get busy living in your Stupid Cancer gear. Shop at stupidcancerstore.org. We've been doing the show here for about 10 years, and we want to hear more from you, our listeners. Tell us what you'd like to hear. Fill out our survey at stupidcancer.org slash podcast survey and get 15% off the Stupid Cancer store. And that is your Stupid Cancer News. All right, our main segment here, Rob Rufus is the one-lunged, cancer-surviving drummer for the national-based punk band Blacklist Royals and doo-wop band The Bad Signs. His new critically acclaimed memoir, Die Young With Me, is in stores now. I'm so excited. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, my friend, Rob Rufus. We go back so long that like, I had hair when I met you. <laughs> I think you're right, man. It was got like oh six or oh seven when we first came down to Nashville for that fundraiser, and we met you guys. It was amazing. Yeah, that was an awesome fundraiser. I uh, I tell people that I was in a um, cancer fashion show. I know, nobody, right? Nobody believes me. <laughs> yeah, they <laughs> exist, nobody. and we have proof. <laughs> no, I. Uh, that's terrible to hear, but. <laughs> it's it, it was a great night it was really cool no it was amazing and i mean it was i we hit it off right away because i'm a young adult musician survivor you're a young adult musician survivor that's the nichest market in the world i i feel you i think you're right i mean i mean you couldn't get much more segmented than that maybe left-handed are you left-handed i'm left-handed oh my too, god dude. we got another level down there right now <laughs> amazing amazing yeah so our uh, opening guest had young adult colon cancer you had young adult lung cancer two cancers that are in octogenarian land and <laughs> one has to ask the question how the hell do you get lung cancer as a 20 something or a teenager you know which is uh just unfathomable well the weird thing about the cancer i had is it wasn't technically lung cancer it was a it was a type of cancer called um germ cell cancer which kind of has the makeup of testicular cancer except it shows itself in another part of the body and mine happened to be wrapped around my lungs so it wasn't like i never smoked a cigarette or anything in my life it just happened to be the bad luck that it manifested itself in the middle of my chest cavity. So you had lung cancer in the form of testicular cancer in your lungs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's hot, bro. And, uh, That's hot. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's kind of complicated and not just my lungs either. I mean, you know, when, when I initially got treatment, um, when then they went to do the surgery to remove the rest of the tumor and found that it was wrapped around, you know, my other internal organs as well. So they had to, you know, they removed part of my diaphragm, part of my vena cava, one of my lungs completely. Um, so, uh, yeah, not ideal for a 17-year-old drummer. I'm going to go with I agree with that. <laughs> you know, I didn't realize all this time that uh, – that, uh, you were a twin. I knew you had a brother. I met your brother, but I had no idea that you were identical twins. A, because I'm a guy and I don't, uh, don't observe things, but <laughs> but also like you know I have twins too, so that's kind of you, my your parents and I could probably swap crazy stories. Do you really? Yeah. 
Oh, man, I feel for you. <laughs> I, well, I, you're a role model. I have good things to look forward to, you and your brother doing good things. <laughs> yeah, well, it took, it took about 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> but you've been a musician forever. Yeah, I've been a musician for, I mean, 20 years now. Scary as that is. I know, I know. Um, so, like... I always ask the question, like again, how rare is it to have young adult musician survivors here on the show in our community? Obviously, getting sick as a teenager is terrible enough, but being a musician, how did that affect your music, your art? I mean, do you, I forget if you sing or do backup. Uh, yeah, I mean, I do backup live unless, you know, I'm a one-lung drummer, so it's not really ideal um, so a lot of times when we're on tour, my breathing will be bothering me worse than usual, whether it's the altitude or just an extra smoky club or, or whatever it is. So I usually do backups, um, it, unless that's kind of going on. And then I just focus on being able to play without passing out or whatever. Well, so, I, I you're you're probably channeling like Neil Pert and Lars Ulrich, so like that's gonna <laughs> kill you anyway. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, I'm I just kind of Keith Moon it up there and shut my eyes and see what happens. Um, but yeah, I mean it it affect. I mean, it affects my art in every way. Um, interestingly enough, like it affected my art at first in the way that it was something that we kind of avoided, I mean, both my brother and I write the songs for our band and um, we kind of wrote the most <laughs> impersonal, broad ranging punk rock type songs possible just because, you know, to delve into personal topics was heavy. And, and once you open those sorts of doors, as you know, they're not really super easy to get closed again. Yeah. Um, so it really wasn't until we were a little older that I think I was in the headspace that I was willing and able to go back to that time in my life and those experiences and really incorporate it in my art and try to um, give it retroactive meaning, you know, because I, I think anybody that goes through anything traumatic, whether it's cancer or anything else, when they're younger, like strives in some way to give those experiences meaning. So it's not just life sucks and it, it's, it's all shitty and gets worse and worse. Well, so I felt really lucky to be able to do that. No, and you, you had your anchor and you kept with it and it's incredibly admirable. I do want to add to our listeners out there. And I don't think Laurel is, is sitting in, in Laurel uh, is our new digital marketing uh, person. Hello, Laurel. Hello, it's nice to meet you. I don't think La I don't think Laurel knows this, but we sell a shirt in our store which looks like the Johnny Walker logo. It's a blue shirt with the uh, stupid cancer get busy living in the Johnny Walker style. Rob designed that. Oh, That's I know right. that one. It's the pro prohibition one. The prohibition T-shirt. Yeah, that is so cool. Yeah. Yeah, and I and I printed most of those myself. So you know, you guys can pick one up in the store and. It'll be like you're touching a part of me when it's <laughs> on your body. So yeah, you heard it's it a here very first. personal experience. Like, touch a part of Rufus <laughs> on the show, and uh, so I mean, and then you decided to write a memoir all these years later. And what, where did that decision come from? Because that's tough. Um. Yeah. I mean, that was something I, I kind of always wanted to write a book, I guess, and um, I always. Uh, I always knew like I had an interesting story and I was, I was never a writer though. I mean, I was always a very avid reader as you know, like when you're sick, there's not much else to do, but sit on your ass and read and watch TV and things like that. So it, it, it kind of happened uh, five or six years ago. I mean, the blacklist Royals was touring probably six, seven months out of the year and I was going out of my way to not think about cancer and that part of my life. And um, through uh, numerous, you know, self-destructive uh, tendencies, I kind of realized, like, 
that needed to be dealt with, whether I liked it or not. Sure. And, um, and that was kind of the perfect time to me to, to try my hand at writing. I mean, I, I kind of got to the point that I said, you know, like, I know there's so many avid readers and so many people that I've met and that are out there that go, man, I'd like to write a book one day. And, and I was like, I, I feel like the only difference between people that are authors and people that aren't is just shutting up and trying to do it. And I mean, that sounds really simple and asinine, but that's, that's kind of just where my head went. And I just tried it and I, and I, I got lucky enough that people dug it. Well, and you got a good copywriter because the name of the book is called Die Young With Me, but I want to read the byline here because this is this is so true. In the, in the tradition of The Fault in Our Stars and Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl, but with grittier edge, Die Young With Me is a gut-wrenching true story told in Rob's own deftly rendered teenage voice with the stripped-down rawness and bold irreverence of the punk rock movement. God, that's poetry, dude. That's good stuff right there. Yeah, I know. He should write a book. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, I, I want to, I mean, we we haven't had a musician on the show in a very long time, but I, I want to play a song. And we, we found a clip on YouTube of, of a, a piece called The Open Door. Do you want to intro the song? We could play a bit of it. Yeah, this is uh, the second single off our last release, also titled Die Young With Me. Um and that's also in stores everywhere, so I hope you guys dig it. All right, let's have a listen here. Yeah, my sentiments exactly. That, that that gets one of these. <laughs> what a great song. What a really great Man, song. I wish I had that button at our shows. <laughs> we all need that button at our shows. <laughs> no joke. Exactly. So 
you're on tour now. Or what are you up to these days besides promoting the book? Uh, no, I'm I'm not on tour right now, but uh, we're doing. I'm doing a lot of book promotion. Um, Blacklist Royals, the band you just heard, is playing some festivals later this month, um, including uh, the Fest in Gainesville, Florida, which is a big, awesome punk rock festival that we pretty much play every year. And um, my new band, The Bad Signs, uh, just released a single that's available everywhere, and we're also playing a few shows this month, including a big Halloween show here in Nashville on the 30th. So um, I'm I'm pretty much been staying off the road, and, and then we're going to start touring in November again and then all through next year. So um, I'll be around. Because one band's clearly not enough. You have a second band and a yeah, book. Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, yeah, the new band, The Bad Signs, was my brother and I, you know, we'd always, we love oldies music and we'd always kind of dreamed of Phil Spectoring it with somebody and having a girl singer and kind of writing and vibing out different songs and, uh, our singer Samantha, we met, who works at a honky tonk here in Nashville, and um, she's totally not anything like the, either of us. So, and it works out; it works out really great, and it's it's really entertaining. Um, writing songs for a girl to sing to, and singing them to my dogs in my room about cute boys and stuff like that. It's been it's been really hilarious to me and really fun. No, I'm I'm yeah, dude, you're living the life. And for the record, I've never heard Phil Spector become a verb before. So that's very exciting <laughs> that you wall of soundified the way you're writing music. <laughs> yes, exactly. So let's talk about you, your health, your your survivorship. We we're doing a lot in research now as an organization to learn how much it sucks to survive. And can we make it suck less by building community and doing amazing things together? Would you be willing to share with us some of the, obviously having one lung, very obvious that you have one lung that clearly presents a whole bunch of other things, but you're many, many years out now. Are you still getting screened or checked? Are we at risk for things? Have there been a conversation with any of your doctors about follow-ups or you, I hate the word out of the woods, but are you all right? Yeah. I mean, um, I am thankfully out of the woods as far as, you know, being nervous about a recurrence right now. Um, but I do get screened every year and I have a litany of, of health issues that kind of just continue on. I mean, I not only have the issues from my initial treatment, like, you know, my breathing and chronic pain from, um, the surgeries and nerve damage and hearing loss. But, uh, you know, there's still more and more side effects, you know, the older you get and the more you go on with it. Like I'm ha I have a lot of continuous issues from my surgery. Like, um, you know, some of the meshing came loose in my chest. So like, my intestines will kind of just float around where they may. <laughs> like my uh, hearing loss gets continually worse, and there's, you know, furthered risk of other health issues just from the types of chemotherapy I had. Um, so I, I try my best to stay pretty on top of it um, because, as you know, that's the daunting thing about being a young adult cancer survivor is you go through that at such an early age and then you're left looking at hopefully a pretty long life and plenty of time to have all kinds of uh, bad shit rear its head. Agreed, agreed. You know? So if you, um, don't, if you don't mind, I'd love to talk about Nat, your twin brother, because very often the siblings are, you know, kind of cast aside for all the obvious reasons that you need the attention. Uh, was that a, um, an issue with him and, and how have you guys been supporting each other ever since besides obviously writing amazing music together? The band must be great glue. Yeah. I mean, and the band was definitely kind of our, um, our 
talisman as as far as uh, getting through the experiences when I got sick. I mean, it, it was totally a trip. I mean, I was so sick. By the time I got, I finally got diagnosed, you know, I had stage four cancer. I had all kinds of issues. My lungs were about to collapse. And my twin brother had no health issues at all and was completely fine and still is. I mean, he has no health problems even still. And, uh, and it was definitely really hard on him. I mean, being a teenager sucks anyway, right? Right. So, like, <laughs> and uh, it just kind of sucked that much worse. Um, but, you know, playing music together was our way to focus on something other than the fact that I was sick. And um, I feel fortunate that I was young enough to kind of suspend belief and be able to just focus on music and focus on our band together so I didn't have to think about what was actually going on because I mean like if I got sick now I I'm just too much of a realist you know I don't I don't know if I would have been able to be that devil may care about it and go you know screw it it's gonna be fine I'll do whatever I need to do band's gonna work out everything's gonna work out and just kept focusing on music um, but you know, at 17, you're dumb enough to be able to do that. And I feel really lucky that that was the case. Um, and that's what we kind of did. And that's what we still do. I mean, I mean, that's what we focused on playing music and, and it was, but it was very isolating for him and very straining on everybody. I mean, it was really only the last couple of years that we were able to kind of come to terms with those experiences and, and, uh, you know, work together again, like we did back when we were 17. I mean, he would say the same thing. Like, I don't know if it's the cathartic nature of revisiting those experiences in a memoir or, or doing writing songs about them or what, but I feel more like uh, my teenage self than I have in about 15 years and he would say the same thing. So we're we're back on that level again, and it's it's pretty badass. No, and and I can tell just by your attitude. I mean, I mean, the name of the song and the name of the book alone, "Die Young with Me." That's pretty in your face, and it's good to know that you really haven't lost the invincibility gene that you so deservedly needed to have when you were seventeen with cancer. Yeah, I mean, that that's what I'm saying, man. I feel lucky to have been naive enough to go, you know what, screw this. Like, <laughs> you know, that was, I mean, and that was a good thing about being so into punk rock music because that's, that's what that whole attitude was about. And I kind of just channeled all those pissed off songs to be pissed off about what I was going through, you know, not like the Reagan administration or whatever they were actually right. about. Like <laughs> in my head, they were all about, me having cancer and how much it sucked and it was very helpful to help me keep that kind of edge to my attitude so uh, another question what's your favorite drummer joke because <laughs> there are way too many to choose oh, from God. I, <laughs> I, I i honestly i couldn't even name one off the top of my head i'm just gonna google drummer jokes right here yeah. on the air Lay some on, lay some on me. Okay. <laughs> the twenty-three best drummer jokes. Let's see here. Uh, how do you tell if the stage is level? The drummer is drooling from both sides of his mouth. How do you tell a drummer's at the door? The knocking speeds up. What the, what's the last thing a drummer says in a band? Hey, how about we try one of my songs? There we go. <laughs> what do you call a drummer that breaks up with his girlfriend? Homeless. Okay, so we're good. That, that that's probably the best drummer thing. jokes. Take care. <laughs> And uh, not a cancer question. What are your influences? What inspires you? Who are the musicians that you look up to that you draw inspiration from and creativity from? Oh, man. Um, uh, well, as an adult, I mean, I'm really inspired over the last couple of years to musicians that kind of have ventured off into different mediums, like just because that's what I'm interested in doing and weirdly after struggling 
for so long to be a semi-successful punk rock musician, like getting book deals and things like that have come way easier to me, like, like than getting a show at a 300 person club in Wyoming or whatever. So, uh, so it's been really encouraging. And, and then I see artists like Nick Cave or somebody that can, you know, they write movies and they write books and they can kind of collaborate and work in all these different mediums to, you know, say the same thing, but in a less linear way. And it's really, it's really cool to me. And I've been latching on to a lot of people like that, just uh, because I just see possibilities, you know, I just can go, well, it's not that stupid if they can do it, who knows? Right. Um, Well, beyond that, I mean, you know, your classic rock and roll punk rock bands, of course, are always just, my go-to. <laughs> of course. Of course. Um, I can't tell you, I feel bad. It's been a long time coming to have you on the show, and uh, you, you've meant so much to me. But you, Again, you were one of the very first left-handed young adult musician survivors, so just we'll go as niche <laughs> as possible here. And it's weird to, you know, I, I had peers back then. I met other people who had cancer in their 20s, um, but I'd never met a musician. It was so unique to to meet you and have that experience and i could never be a drummer i'm a, I'm a keyboardist a pianist by trade and that's it i i don't even dare venture into percussion even though a pianist piano is technically a percussion instrument but i yeah. am so in awe of your talent and what you guys are doing with the band and now your book die young with me by rob rufus one more quote here rufus's memoir makes a valuable contribution to the literature of healing and recovery it's a good piece of rock writing too with one hell of a soundtrack Kirkus reviews um Again, you got the right publicist working for you. This book is great. Um, <laughs> what's the that. website that we can learn more? We can tell our listeners. Um, you can go to robrufus.net, and you can go to Simon & Schuster's homepage, and they have an artist profile on me that should be up to date with all my events. And, of course, if you want to – at robrufus.net, there's links to all my bands and all our – tour dates and events and all that crap. So, uh, yeah, check it out. Come hang out with me. Yeah, all that crap online at Rob Rufus. <laughs> yeah, that's why I need such a good publicist. Yeah, that's good. Dude, I'm, I'm proud of you. Keep up the good work. And yeah. uh, I, I can't wait. to. I haven't been to Nashville in a long time. I can't wait to come back hopefully soon. We could plan something really cool down there. Hey, man, drinks are on me. I'd love it. I'm going to officially name your, your tumor as testicular lung cancer. Oh, that was rough, Matt. I had to end on a high note. (laughs) Well done. All right. Rob Rufus, testicular lung cancer survivor, drummer for the Blacklist Rails, author of Die Young With Me. Dude, thank you so much. Rock on. I'll talk to you soon. Hey, thank you. All right. Rob Rufus, everyone. I went there. Yeah, it didn't get better the second time either. <laughs> I got to make one of, one of these days, one of my neologisms will create a hashtag phenomenon. Mm, not this one. This Clearly is not, not this the one. day. No. <laughs> but yeah, what a great guy. Great music. Great song. Uh, truly an honor. And again, the fact that he designed, I get to tell people that this is a great shirt. Yeah, we haven't been sued yet by Jack Daniels, but this young adult <laughs> <laughs> drummer survivor guy. Design it for us, and that's good stuff. So, say his cancer one last time. Testicular cancer. Oh, still bad. <laughs> How could you have? Well, testicular cancer in your lungs. That was crazy. That's pretty crazy. Anyway, wow. Well, that's our show. Now to our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. Have you ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Well, that's our show, the 398th episode of The Stupid Cancer Show. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or follow us on SoundCloud. I'd like to thank our guests, Allison Rosen and Rob Rufus of the Blacklist Royals.
The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity comprehensively addressing young adult cancer. Find us online at stupidcancer.org. Coming to you from downtown Manhattan, on behalf of the team here at the Stupid Cancer Show, we hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next time. Goodbye, folks. I just did what I had to do. Ain't like I had a choice, but I'm a